From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. Imagine going to a really large museum like the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, for example. ReSound is a remix of documentaries, found sound, sound bites, music, mosaics, and other oral tidbits we collect like shells on a beach. And the great thing about scavenging is you never know what you're going to find, which is why it's our pleasure to search the world for the best audio gems out there and bring them to you each week. 90% of the objects that you'll find in there, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, were not made to be works of art. They're made to be funerary pieces, like most of Egyptian art that we have today. They were jars to have olive oil and, and wine, which is what much of the Greek art that we have today is. One thing about art is that it's irrepressible. Where there are human beings, there will be art. Today on ReSound, we listen to art made in places where you least expect it. A children's hospital in Australia, an intensive care unit in London, and a war zone in the Middle East. In the most unlikely places, a spark of light. Stay with us. I'd say that most of the art that we are aware of today was not produced to be art. It was produced to be something else. Sound artists Sherry DeLees and John Jacobs were commissioned to create an audio installation at Westmead Children's Hospital in Australia. With an extraordinary art collection, gardens, an aviary, and even its own radio station, this isn't exactly your typical hospital. And neither is this your typical story. It's non-traditional, but accessible. Melodic, but without a real tune. It's driven by the voice of a young patient who reinvents his experience of being in the hospital through metaphor and illusion. It's called simply, If. 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 If I were a fish trying to help someone, if I were a fish, if I were a finch, if I were a flame with a friend of a fish, if if I was a, a bird looking at the children that were really sick, if 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 I were a crocodile, a crocodile, if if I were a plant, sorry, if I were a, a kid. Kitty. If, 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 If I was a, a bird and I saw a bandage around someone's head, I'd pretend it was my nest and start laying he- eggs there. If I was a bird... Hangs on a tree well hidden. <gasps> If I were a finch nesting and in the children's hospital and I saw a cast around someone's leg, I'd think, is that a big um, 
what they call those thing you find around in the beach? Scuttlefish, is it? Yeah. I think it was a, scutt a scuttlefish, and I'd start sharpening my beak on it. Fish inside a fish bowl. Yeah. In the children's hospital, I'd be thinking, thinking, who's in the cage? Is it me or is it you? Well, it's me, you fish. <laughs> when I first get there, they weigh me, you know, take a blood test, see how high I am, put it, write it all down. And about an hour later, someone comes in and says, well, this is what's up with you. This, 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 this and this. And in my case, it was low calcium. And this, 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 this and this. A kid, oh wait, if I were a plant at the children's hospital and I saw the kids go past, I'd think to myself, I'm lucky to be a plant seeing all these sick kids go by and I'm as fit as a fiddle. Or I might be turned into a fiddle, but I'll be fit as a fiddle. Oh, and just the other week I had a biopsy. They, 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 they put you to sleep. And then everything goes all funny when you're going to sleep. Like, it just goes as if it's a, um, a lollipop, you know, those big ones, how they're all... No, it's like when you get a pencil and you paint it red in certain places, so it goes in a spiral kind of way, and when you roll it, it goes all funny. Yeah, that, that's what it felt like. Everything was going round and round and round and round and round. I wake up and then I got this, this bad feeling in my throat. It was all funny. If. if I were a frog in the children's hospital, I'd be stuck in someone's throat because they swallowed me. Now they've got a frog in their throat. <laughs> If I was a, a bird... Nest? If I were a bird in the children's hospital drawing a picture, I'd draw a cat and say, Ooh, I'd draw a putty tat. <laughs> I always ruin a good picture. I add things on, think, oh, this is nice, and I keep adding and adding and adding and adding. <laughs> And when I finish, I think, I've got too many things. See, like in this, I drew a dog here, and then I decided to do a bed, and then I decided to do the pillow, then I decided to do the nurse, then I decided to do his hands, then I decided to do little, like little shadow of him in bed, no under the sheets. The dog here spewing up. Like the drawings and the art, they made me get better because once I did them, I thought, oh, this is a nice picture. And then inside it made me feel all, you know, that fuzzy feeling you get. 
If was produced by Sherry DeLees and John Jacobs. Now, in this country, we really don't think of hospitals as being places that might consider art important to healing. But maybe we could learn a thing or two. In England, John Wynne was an artist-in-residence at Harefield Hospital in Middlesex, a leading facility in heart and lung transplants. One of the pieces he designed while in residence is our next story. It takes place in the intensive care unit, where patients are newly adjusting to their second chance at life. I feel different in a way. I feel more relieved, you know what I mean? I've got the pain as I did before with my old heart. With my old heart, I have a lot of pain, but I haven't got that now, but it doesn't feel like I've had a heart transplant. I don't feel no different. I just feel normal, I just feel like I'm just, just got a hole in my stomach at the moment. It just feels like I've just come to hospital where I've cut myself open or something. I don't feel like I've had a new heart or anything, but I've had a new heart at the end of the day. But it all feels the same. Sorry about this. I was a very fit person until about four years ago. And I started coughing, went to the doctor, and he said, you've got an incurable lung disease.
Well, I guess as with whatever environment you become familiar with, you gradually lose the the acute sensations that you first get. I mean, you can be really overwhelmed with the noises, especially if you're you have a room in the centre of the ward, and uh, there are loud alarm bells that clang and ring frequently very loud raucous buzzers for people requiring nurses coming to their rooms Um, gradually that that fades and you can almost not notice it I spent the first week trying to turn the bells into flocks of Greek sheep and goats and imagine them up mountainsides but it wasn't really very successful and I ended up with great sympathy for Mohammed, I think, who hated bells, didn't he? That's why he has towers with people with imams calling off them, because bells were out of favour. I can see why. It's very weird, you're on drugs and nothing seems, it feels like in a dream world, in a dark dream, there's a lot going on, things don't seem to make sense. I I saw images, uh, I don't know what it was, but uh, something on the next bed which looked like a guitar. Which was nothing. <laughs> uh, I had vivid dreams of just like dark, like hell. Literally, I, I, I woke up, um, and obviously, I, you know, you were fairly morphined up, and I could tell that there was, that, well, I was somewhere. I didn't know I had a ventilator in and stuff, but you know, I could breathe. It was, it was quite an amazing experience. But obviously, at this point, I had no real. I was, you know, still fairly kind of. Anyway, I, I open my eyes, and we're in intensive care, so it's white, yes, and there's this huge black guy standing over me, yes, in white. I kind of went, God? 
<laughs> it was quite a surreal moment, to be honest with you. Um, and then I did actually realise that I had a ventilator in my mouth and that I couldn't actually say God. <laughs> because you think someone else has died. <laughs> I just try not to think about it too much. Mm. Hi. Hi. Um, oh, it's the doctor come. Okay. No, it's okay. It's a lifesaver at Tully's, you know, we class the lifesaver. It's actually, you could call it a heart, it's just in a box. A couple of uh, batteries keep me alive um, until I get a new heart. Um, it's kept me alive for a year now, it's been 12 months tomorrow. of the artificial heart 24 hours a day sleep tonight I could not find myself I've lost my heart somewhere somewhere on a shelf sounds a bit grim but uh, it's the fact that my heart ended up somewhere else because I, I gave it my valves away so other people could use them man had my heart which is quite a rarity for a white person to be compatible when I know him we both went down to the um, echo and he went in before me and uh, when he come out I said to the lady oh how's my heart doing and she said what do you mean I said well you've just been looking at my heart and she said oh that's spooky (laughs) 
I found it quite funny. <laughs> but it is funny to, you know, to think he's walking around my heart. And I found that quite odd. This drain here, basically it's a tube that goes into my chest, into my lung, and it kind of hooks around. And this is what keeps the air out with the bottle. And then the long tube goes onto the wall, which is the suction. Constantly keeps the air being sucked out. And with the bubbles at the bottom of here, it shows that there's like an air leak still in my lung. So I feel like a spaghetti junction. And my life is plastic tubes and, you know, I walk around the room and it's like tripping up on myself and get tangled in knots and always getting twisted and looped up and, and the nurse is having a little dance around. Hang on, I've got so many years to live now. Um, what do I do now? That was Someone Else Has Died by producer John Wynne, formerly the artist-in-residence at Harefield Hospital in Middlesex, England. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival and Chicago Public Radio. I'm Gwen Maxi. We look all over the world to bring you unusual art, audio art, so that you can listen wherever you go. Take a minute to let us know what you think. Questions and comments can be sent to ReSound at thirdcoastfestival.org. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned that art is irrepressible, that you find it in the most desolate of places. And maybe there's even a direct proportional relationship. The more desolate a situation, the greater the need for self-expression, beauty, song, and creativity. That would certainly be the case in our next story, called Before the War, It Was the War. This piece began its life as a blog by artist and musician Mazen Kerbaj. He was living in Lebanon when the most recent conflict with Israel broke out in 2006. He chose to send his wife and child away from the city while he stayed, documenting the sights and sounds of the war and, as he says, resisting with his pen. When Australian radio producer Anna Burns came across Mazen's blog, she decided to make an audio rendering of it, featuring his blog posts, comments he received, and sounds he collected, along with a phone interview with Mazen. Here's Before the War, It Was the War. Mazen Kabaj has lived most of his life with the idea and reality of war. He grew up in Lebanon during the Civil War. He is a musician, a visual artist, and a father. 
He'd been thinking about starting a blog, and when the Israeli army bombed the Beirut airport in retaliation for Hezbollah capturing two Israeli soldiers, he was prompted to actually do it. What he created was a powerful documentation of the experience of living through war. Two years of laziness before starting this blog. I'll begin then by thanking Israel, who burned in one night two years of efforts to avoid getting myself trapped in this adventure. Good job, guys. Especially the airport party and the bridges. No way to leave the country. Nothing else to do than this blog. After all, we all need sometimes a valid reason to start to work. And a good old war soundscape is okay as a starting point. not a blog for me, it's a notebook uh, that was published on a blog if you want. I mean, in a sense, I have no, uh, it's just, I'm using the internet as a tool to put the drawings daily and to be able to show them daily. It's more, it was more as a media rather than, than a blog, it was a personal media if you want. Night of 13 to 14th of July, 2006, 4 a.m. The Israeli Air Force flies over Beirut. Far away, we hear bombs falling down. Silence. We begin to hear shots far away. a.m. Closer explosions. Little by little people wake up and get out on their terraces to hear where the sounds are coming from. Mazen had been married to a French citizen and now holds a French passport. It gave him the option to leave for safety and to take his son, Evan, with him. He chose to stay. Well, this made me think a lot because uh, I would say uh, without a thought, I would uh, not even have thought about leaving. And uh, having a son was the only thing making me think all the time, like uh, maybe it's better to leave the country. I don't want him to leave the same that I lived, uh, which is totally normal, you know. The more the war was, was settling, the more um, it was evident that staying at the, in the mountain where he was, his mother, um, was somehow safe. So he wasn't hearing the bombs and he was just hearing airplanes, if you want, and uh, the bombs weren't falling uh, close to him. To go back to this thing of leaving the country, just going uh, three or four times during the war to the mountain and sleep there uh, drove me crazy. I, I just feeling one day far from Beirut while while all this was happening was driving me crazy. 
So uh, how about imagining myself like walking in Berlin or in Paris or London or I don't know where uh, and just having news uh, by newspaper and by, by TV, you know. 5.02 a.m. Waiting in front of the TV. Silence. I heard bands in the TV. Silence. So it was surrealistic, it was awful, but at the same time it was helpful. A lot of people would put this TV all day, uh, all night long, and uh, just read, and when the TV flashes, becomes red a little bit, you know, to expect it. It's really crazy, I mean, we never had this in, in the old wars. Uh, sometimes uh, when there is air attacks on, on uh, the southern suburbs, you will see the thing explode on the TV and hear it five seconds, or not five, two seconds afterwards. And it was crazy, like, to see the thing and then hear it, and, and I mean, it's real, it's, it's not a movie, you know. So you see a real bomb exploding, then you hear it very close, because uh, Beirut is very small, I mean, the suburbs are very close from the center, for instance. And uh, this was surrealistic. And in the same time, it was helpful a little bit. Like, when you see it and you hear it two, two seconds afterwards, you're less afraid when you hear it because you expect it. While when it comes from silence like this and you're uh, like doing anything, doing a sandwich, uh, like uh, drinking coffee, smoking a cigarette, and something happens, it's really uh, a very, very uh, difficult second to pass, like the second when, when the bomb comes. Silence here is more frightening than the most frightening bomb. It is 2.42 a.m. The city is calm. Too calm. I'm going to try to sleep. But my mini-disc is connected to the microphone and ready on my balcony. I am pretty sure we are having a nice party tonight. Birds wake up. Silence. Silence. We go to sleep. Tom said, Hey Marzen, keep telling it like it is. The more voices like yours out there, the better. Stay strong and safe, buddy. Tom Chant. Yuka said, Hello Marzen. I'm Thomas's mother from Switzerland. Please go on with your work. I wish the Lebanon people a lot of courage. I'm not very religious, but I pray for you and your people. Yeah, I mean, there was truly an importance, truly this link with the outside, just knowing that people are hearing me outside was truly important. I, I, I would be a liar to say, like, it was important at all, for sure. At the same time, I never felt it as, as um, 
as an achievement himself. I mean, and, and I never expected something from it. I mean, I'm a very pessimistic, uh, defeatist person. I, I, a lot of people were getting excited about this blog, like, maybe we can do something. And I mean, I was, I was pushing them to do something, knowing very well that uh, we can't do anything. I mean, uh, it was a lost war. The, the war of, of the art against, uh, against the bomb is a total lost war on, on uh, short term. I didn't expect any, any any change in anything because of my blog or because of any other blog, you know. I mean, I, I don't have any naive uh, expectation about this stuff. I know how it works, unfortunately, and uh, it's neither me nor any other artist or normal person who would, who would be able to change something. One photographer said, Master, just to let you know that we are so unsettled too, and that here in Spain, hundreds of balconies have a white flag showing we want the peace over Lebanon. Thanks for keeping us up to date in such an artistic way. I dig your music and your drawings. Much love from Madrid, Paula. Maria Kuchen said, it's impossible for me to go to sleep until all of Mason's beautiful, tragic, funny and alarming statements have been commented on. It's an egocentric thing, a way of making myself feel that I am doing something. Perhaps I am. Perhaps these words of mine actually make a difference. Perhaps this command is action. Not just wishful thinking and pseudo-action. Honestly though, I doubt that. But. I will not go to sleep pretending that what's happening in Lebanon, the rest of the Middle East and the total world around me is no concern of mine. It is a concern of mine. And it's impossible to kill anyone while writing. Writing is an act of peace. Writing, too, might perhaps at times contribute to generating peace? I don't know. I know nothing. But I write. Perhaps for no other reason than to say, I'm here, I'm listening, I won't close my eyes on you, I won't. <laughs> 3.15am, it seems that tonight the bombing won't stop. Every 15 minutes a new attack. One or two bombs only each time, just enough to keep you up the whole night. These guys are real artists. A huge bomb just arrived while I'm writing how to describe this feeling with words. So, yeah, the Israeli pilots are real artists. They know how to keep their audience attentive. They never give you time to fall asleep. Each time you feel the action is slow, they bring in some new emotional material to get you in again. I suspect that they calculate exactly how long it takes to a normal human being to fall asleep and act upon. Well done, guys. It's working. 
the We Resist one, or this one where I'm shouting at the Israeli plane saying, uh, come down, you cowards, I'll kill you all with my pen, or something like this. It's me getting out of my window, there is planes and bombs, and uh, it's at the night, and I have my pen in my hand, uh, and I'm shouting, come down, you cowards, I'll kill you all with my pen. And it was a little bit on the war between the pen and, and the bombs, plus a small add-on, like a neighbor saying, shut up, we want to sleep or something. So it's my, my sarcastic thing that was all the way. I mean, this is my, my way of expressing myself. There is another very famous one. Uh, it's Beirut uh, exploding a little bit with a huge, uh, how do you say, uh, smoke getting out of Beirut. And then a bubble saying, how could I show sound in, uh, in a drawing? I mean, a lot of them were printed all over the world in a lot of magazines, newspaper, posters, stuff. My preferred one, uh, it's called TV Blues, and uh, you see six TVs, uh, one over the other. Each TV, it's like uh, a frame of, of a comic book. But inside the TV, there is only text, and uh, it was a little bit saying the people from the south and from the southern suburbs of Beirut are dying every day on TV, and we are seeing them dying, and they die, and we see them, or something like this. One illustration that made for particularly heated replies, both to Muslim personally and publicly on the blog, was perhaps one of the most simple images he posted. An entirely black background with ten white stars, a small circle of light that shows someone at a desk by candlelight and the words, we resist. A long debate raged over this particular drawing. What is meant by resistance? Is resisting being a Hezbollah supporter? Or is resisting staying safe, physically and mentally, as another post suggested? After a lengthy and heated debate, Mazen replied with the following. Did you notice that I'm drawing on the light of a candle under the bomb in the drawing that shocked you? Did you try to analyse this highly complex metaphor of resisting the bomb with the pen? Did you notice, by the way, that almost all the posts of this blog are drawing? Do you think it is funny to draw under the bombs? Do you suspect me to like it? After knowing me for seven days, do you really think that I have nothing better to do than resisting? I have to admit that I have a long beard. Frightening, isn't it? But do you imagine me with an explosive belt? Do you have a sense of humor? Did you think for a second that I might be resisting to talk about politics since I began this blog? Do you think it is the right moment to find out whose fault it is? Do you know the smell of a burning kid? Do you have decency? Please, do not reply to this email and post me more comments. It is not a political blog. If you insist to try to explain to me the reasons of what's happening, did you hear of 1948, by the way? I'm sorry, but I'll have to block your comments. If you're not happy, write a complaint to the UN. For the Israeli musicians, painters, writers, thinkers, intellectuals, and for all the Israeli in Israel and around the world. 
who sent us supportive emails and comments. We know you are here. We know you are hearing us. We know you are hearing the bombs getting down on civilians and kids. Kids from Lebanon, kids from Israel, kids from all over the world. We know that like us, you feel ashamed. We know you are not a lot. But we shall meet one day when our people will wake up in 10,000 years. Please, continue sending us your emails and comments here and wherever you can. We need to know you are here and that you are more than what we expected. The, the more the media were, uh, were having less and less interest in the conflict, because it was repeating itself, if you want, after five days, become very boring for the media. So uh, the less the media were speaking about it, the more people I was having almost. And a lot of people were always saying, like, you're almost the only media we could trust because uh, because of the fact that a blog is a personal thing. It's one person that you can identify and it's speaking to you uh, from her point of view, not from any media or, or ideology or etc., etc. And uh, I think, yeah, being a witness, it was my, my sort of mission because I was here already. I, I, I wouldn't go tomorrow to Iraq to be a witness there, you know. So it was, uh, it's not a sort of, 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 uh, of feeling that I like to do this reportage thing or something like this. My life in a bag. Each time I leave my flat, I take with me my passport, an advanced passport, a mini-disc recorder and microphone, two t-shirts, two underwear, two pairs of socks, a notebook and pens, my trumpet, binoculars, a book, tobacco, a small camera, a lighter, a USB key, a toothbrush for batteries. If I, I would have lived uh, 30 years in, in times of uh, peace and today all would happen, I really cannot know what would be my reaction. Maybe I'd be the first one to leave the country. Uh, maybe I'd not be able to draw anymore. Maybe I'll be depressed. I, I, I cannot imagine at all. But, uh, but today when I, analyze my, when I do a small analysis on my reaction on, and how I reacted to the war, it's, it seems evident for me uh, there wasn't another reaction to do like... Uh, for myself at least in, in, in this world. The thing is that today I feel a sort of responsibility and it is like I have to make my voice heard to continue the job I'm already doing on the blog. I am doing it and will still do it. But it put me in the position of a sort of hero defending the Lebanese citizens with my art while the sad reality is that I can do nothing to even protect myself. People are dying under the bombs, and I am giving interviews. Anyways, I'll continue drawing, freaking out, playing music and blogging. I hate this word. Until I find something more intelligent, helpful to do. Andreas Lindahl, Swedish Radio. It's fantastic to read your thoughts on interviews. And I also think it's showing how difficult it is to read what is going on in a different person's mind. In my story and in my eyes, you are not 
Well, you are, but that's not the point. A hero defending your people, but a way for me to understand through human feelings what a war is all about. Emotions and horror, not headlines and politicians. I hope to show that in my story in a few minutes. Andreas. You're listening to Street Stories on ABC Radio National. This is the story of Mazen Kabaj, the Beirut blogger whose blog is a visual documentation of the experience of living through war. Illusion of progress said. So Mazen, you arranged this whole thing just to get a little publicity, eh? Go ahead and do the interviews. You have a very pleasant radio voice and you also have much to say with it. Don't stop now. Michael, you f***er. You caught me. A good old war is the best way to make yourself known. I call all the artists from the world to come to Beirut. Make themselves a name. Even the bad ones, it doesn't matter. Keep it going, Michael, and stay next to your radio. Maybe my melodious voice will reach you soon. Lily said... And in the meantime, Tel Aviv is living out its life as usual. Well, almost as usual. The city is packed with people that run away to stay with relatives and friends because their homes are being bombed. I went out with my sister for dinner last night. We were sitting in a quiet restaurant and the talks we overheard reminded me of what you just wrote. It's mind-blowing what the human mind can endure and still find its way to a half-ordinary art and music conversation. On the way back, I passed a building that had a party on the roof. People were dancing and drinking while big Israeli flags were hanging from the balcony. I was thinking, is it okay for people to party in those times? I personally really don't feel like it. But is it wrong for them to want to? The whole thing had such a doomsday feel to it. Party tonight, because we might be dead tomorrow. Is it just me, or does it really feel like this world is coming to an end? In the Daily Star yesterday, Jim Quilty writes, at its most basic, Pop culture a la Liban expresses itself in the matter-of-fact resilience of its citizens. Both journalists stationed here during Lebanon's long civil war sometimes wrote about this, usually focusing on Beirut's capacity to party, even as the shells were falling outside. People will continue partying here, as they always did. The 75 civil war stayed for 15 years. Can you stop partying for 15 years? I think that the world ended. But we are afraid to see it. One bad trick with this blog is that I receive tons of messages when I do not update it for a while. People must think I died or something. 
Nothing like that can happen. We are still... We are still here. We are still alive. We are still waiting. We still have nerves. We will never lose them. We'll remain while the bombs will vanish. We'll survive this like we survived others. There is not much update since yesterday because I went to see some friends and family. Everybody is okay. I didn't draw that much. Two drawings that I made yesterday were not cool at all. I mean, they were ugly. Having these kind of considerations for such trivial while people are killed drives me crazy. I recorded two hours of bombs plus trumpet from my balcony yesterday night. Some bombs were real close. What kind of mouthpiece do the Israeli pilots use to have this sound? The tension you get in your playing is incredible. I always said that I regret not being a doll during the war to see if you can do something in these situations. Now I feel bad to draw or play music while people are burning. I convince myself by saying it is my only way to resist. That I have to witness. That is very important. But I'm not really convinced. F art. F the world. F everything. I mean, I, it's tough to say, but we, we lost a lot of time about the comments that were left on, I mean, with friends in Lebanon. So we'd say, uh, people telling me, like, uh, they would become my friends and telling me, stop drinking, it's not good, you're going to be depressive and stuff. And it was really uh, funny to read this at some point. At some point, I would have friends saying, like, I entered on your blog, there is a new comment on this drawing. Go see it, it's very funny. I received an email from a lady asking me to remove her from my mailing list because she's not used to like an ear violent language. She also said, I hope that your comprehension is as rapid as the speed which you use to vociferate your insults. I removed her, but asked before if she has a better way of dealing with the situation than vociferating insults. She answered in bold, diplomatie. I'm sure this lady has a high education degree, at least. Maybe a doctorate or something? Hmm. But what else to say? I had a lot of things I wanted to talk of before leaving to see a van in the mountains. I do not remember so much things. Massacres, maybe. Anyways. Please, keep posting. I'll try to post some drawings tonight. We know you are with us. We know you are seeing us. We know you hear the f bombs we are hearing. We know you worry for us. But don't. Because you know, we are tough guys. You know that we'll support this shit. You know that we survived massacre. And we'll do it again today. You know we'll see each other soon. Keep in touch and stay with us.
Before the War, It Was the War by Australian producer Anna Burns and sound engineer Lewis Mitchell for the program Street Stories on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. It's the winner of the 2007 Third Coast Festival Richard H. Driehaus Director's Choice Award. This piece is an audio rendering of Mazen Kerbaj's wartime blog, Kerblog. For a link, go to thirdcoastfestival.org. Here's Anna Burns accepting her 2007 Third Coast Festival Director's Choice Award. I discovered Marsden's blog when I was working. I worked during the week in TV and freelance produced for Radio National. I discovered Marsden's blog when I was uh, working for a daily news and current affairs program, a television program. And we were sifting through hours and hours and hours of vision from uh, Lebanon and Israel. And everyone was trying to find the the most dramatic and the most powerful and the most moving footage. And it always had to be the most gruesome, preferably, probably, children with limbs blown off and the, uh, the normal sort of casualties of war. And during that time, Marsden started his blog. And his blog was by far the most powerful thing that I saw out of hours and hours and hours of news reports and long-format television programs and radio reports as well, in fact. I think his blog was so powerful because it was so personal and so understated. It was about the mundane as well as the terrifying. Um, And I was compelled to tell his story um, and to bring a different perspective to war because there are a lot of people who live through it. Most of us are fortunate enough not to be in the hospital, and most of us are also fortunate enough not to be in a war zone. But one thing we've all been unfortunate enough to experience is the excruciating state of adolescence. Writer and producer Jill Summers found a tiny piece of art in a very bad place in her entry for the Third Coast Festival public audio project Dollar Stories, which invited people to create short radio pieces inspired by one of three items we selected from a dollar store. Jill's story, called I Was a Preteen Nightmare, was inspired by a pink and green mug emblazoned with the slogan, Well-behaved women rarely make history. Here it is. Considering that I actually lip-synced working 9 to 5 in the Glenridge Middle School talent show and thought that it was not only a socially advantageous but an artistically valid idea, and remembering also that I, for the fear of the grown-up world of Tampax, not only wore a maxi pad in my bathing suit on an unfortunately timed family trip to Wet n' Wild, but lost it about midway down the park's infamous water slide, the Durstuka, It doesn't seem at all necessary that I would further my entry into the annals of this sad, shared history of well-intentioned, yet horribly misinformed adolescence with such a spectacle as that which I'm about to describe. But nonetheless, I did indeed both enter and triumphantly win a teen dance contest at Colleen Barker's 13th birthday party. To truly appreciate the magnitude of this miscue, one must both recognize and fully process that it took place just subsequent to my forced enrollment in the Joe Lamar Dance School's beginner jazz dance class, where I had not only been taught the step ball change, but sadly, jazz hands. And also, that while I was a gorgeous baby and an adorable child, 
My prepubescence was marked by an entirely unpredicted shift into debilitating ugliness that was in no way hindered by my mother's obsession with continuously sculpting my hair into what was certainly not the first, but what might have been one of Florida's most disturbing preteen female mullets. And you must also note that this was at least a year before my orthodontist prescribed a combination headgear and mouthpiece designed to calm my extreme overbite and pull my virtually non-existent chin forward out of the realm of Neanderthal where it had settled around my 10th year. From where I stood, I had a view of Colleen at the stereo. The birthday girl kneeled, waiting for silence. Both of us poised for action. I can only assume that there was a moment of hesitance. But well-behaved women rarely make history. I was up. I cued the music. It was Duran Duran's Rio. I don't remember the precise choreography of my routine, but I remember feeling the lyrics deeply and tried to interpret them through movement and, sadly, facial expression. I was the bird of paradise, a river twisting through a dusty land. My name was Rio. The other girl sat Indian-style around the room, singing along, and somehow decided, either from collective retardation or by group practical joke, that I should win. I would like to say that I learned a lesson that night, that thinking back on it, my unfortunate actions led me to a greater understanding of something, anything, that I can draw upon to bolster my strength in moments of adversity. But like so many ill-fated and meaningless moments, it did not. And when I asked my mother about this recently, she pretended that she had no idea what I was talking about. She told me simply that it was very nice of Colleen Barker to have invited me to her birthday party at all. She was older than you, you know, she told me. Obviously, it is a painful memory for everyone involved. I was a preteen nightmare by writer, musician, and artist Jill Summers. I've been to be an, an art object, by and large, an object has to differ interestingly from other objects of its kind. ReSound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. The program is hosted by Gwen Maxi, produced by Delaney Hall, and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, with additional funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. The Third Coast Festival is also supported by Stephen Gross of Real Life Weddings. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.